lot of prayers today about the political events of the week. I'm going to quote Chesty Puller. They have us surrounded. That simplifies our problem. One of the things that you should all be as you watch the events that happen is sad. But I will suggest that you should not be depressed. And there's a difference between sadness and depressed. Certainly sadness for what's going on and what's happening, but depression will rob you of the ability to take action. So depression is a medical condition which we are not in, but we are sad. There's something going on in the bigger picture. This particular pope that we've got right now, we've got, he's not my pope, but you know what I mean, is doing some stuff that I find troubling in a revelation kind of a sense. Popes have always messed in secular stuff. I mean, that just sort of goes with being a pope. This guy is drifted over into paganism with his earth worship, and he's essentially a communist. That's new. That's unusual. The other thing is, and again, I mentioned this before, the world's bankers are starting a war against cash. And the reason that they're doing that is because if they have control of all the money, they have control of all the money. There's a venial reason for that. But if you can't flee to cash, that's when we start seeing things like no man can buy and sell without a mark. So as I see those two things, that's sort of interesting. The Supreme Court this week has uncovered the fact that we're dealing with a tyranny. Because what they've said is words mean what we say they mean. They don't mean what you think they mean. They mean what we say they mean. And what that means is words mean whatever the people with the guns say they mean, which is the definition of a tyranny. And so at this point, I think government and society has essentially lost its moral authority and has devolved into force. Now, government has always been force. I mean, that's the nature of the beast. And according to Torah and according to our Constitution, Government is force in service of the people. That has ceased to be the case. So, this has all happened before. This is not new. Furthermore, this is not unexpected. So where I want to be is in Jeremiah. And I want to be in Jeremiah chapter 2. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 7. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the law did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and went after things that do not profit. Therefore I still contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your children's children I will contend. For cross to the coasts of Cyprus and see, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. So, Two things. One is turning away from God, who is the source of living water. 
And the second thing is trying to store water for yourself so you can become independent of God. That's the deal with the broken cisterns. Everybody knows you need water. And what people are doing in this passage of scripture is they are making cisterns for themselves to hold their own water so that they can go off and be independent of God. But what God is saying is the cisterns that you have hewed out are leaking. So really what you've done is you have given yourself a sense of temporary independence. But the end of that is still death. Where we are today is we have shepherds who have transgressed against the Lord. I'm talking shepherds in the government sense. We have priests who don't turn to God. The number of secular churches in this land is, is quite large. And those who handle the law don't know him. That sound like this week? So this has all happened before. This is nothing new. Now, the world is divided between those who follow God and those who follow something else. We who follow God are not of the impression that this world is going to be perfected. This world is temporary. We know this world is temporary. We're here for a purpose and a season and what we're going to do is we're going to go through this world in the purpose and the season that God has for us with the understanding that at the end it's all going to be rolled up and it's going to be reformed. It cannot be perfected, and that's by design. It is not a flaw that this world can't be perfected. We understand that. On the other side are people who believe that the world can be perfected. So what they're doing is they are trying to pass laws and exercise force and so forth to perfect the world. It can't be done. And what that does is it makes them angry. You know, they've run a series of victories this week, and I will guarantee you that when you read the papers on Monday morning, they're just going to be as angry as they are before. It will not change. They're still going to be angry. And that's because they're trying to do something that can't be done. And the harder they force it, the worse it works. This all goes back to the garden. What was the original promise in the garden? If you eat of this plant, what does it promise? You will be like God. This is always the temptation, that we can be like God. And people who are trying to perfect this world are trying to be like God. That's the original temptation that we all faced. Now, what the entire Bible says is, A, you're not God, and B, this thing can't be perfected. Now, what is the temptation of being like a God? Why is that such a temptation? First off, gods have the power to compel other people to do stuff for their own good. In other words, if I'm a God, I can make you do that, and I can say it's for your own good because I'm the God, and I get to decide what's for your own good, right? So if I compel you to do it, it's for your own good, therefore I'm justified. That's pretty cool. That's very tempting. And oh, by the way, didn't we just have a court that did that? Sure. Gods have moral authority. We read the book that was written by people who are influenced by God, and they have moral authority. I mean, what is greater than that to be able to go in any situation and I am the moral authority in this situation? Isn't that attractive? I would say yes, it is. And gods are significant. Gods matter. 
Gods are not little non-entity nebishes that nobody cares anything about. If I'm a god, boy, people got to pay attention to me. Do you see how attractive that is? And it all goes back to the garden. There's nothing new here. One of the underpinnings of this, by the way, is evolution. And I'm not talking about evolution, pond scum to people. That's not what I'm talking about. The liberal project says that the world can be perfected and that things are getting better. They're not, but that's what the underlying philosophy says. Things are getting better and better, and we're going to make this place perfect. So, when things are not perfect, if you believe that, what's the problem? There are institutions that have not yet evolved, and we need to shut those institutions down because they are holding us back. So when we had this business that happened in Charleston, where some kook shot up a church, what's the immediate thing that happens? We've got to take that flag down because that's an old institution which is a remnant of slavery, and we have moved beyond that, but this old institution is holding us back, so we've got to get rid of it. Well, everybody should be equal now, and there's this old institution called marriage that is holding us back from evolving into what we should be, so we've got to get rid of it. Do you understand the phenomenon? There is logic to this. These people are not stupid. They're very clever, but they have a wrong set of opinions because they don't come from truth, which is the word of God. They instead come from their own hearts who want to be like God's. But if you come from that position, from there, the stuff they're doing is logical. Don't make the mistake of assuming that these people are stupid. They're not. Now, the other part of this, by the way, is the vast majority of the people you meet are not your enemy. There are a few that are your enemies, but most people are just sort of keeping their head down, hoping not to get noticed, and just sort of going with the flow because that's the easy way to go. Those are your target. You're not going to change the minds and hearts of those who want to be like God. You're just not going to do that because, as I say, they have a logical worldview that's simply wrong. But there are a whole lot of people who don't have that worldview and are just trying to get by. Them you can influence. As I was trying to figure out what I was going to talk about today, anybody know who Theodore Dalrymple is? Great name, right? It's actually a pseudonym. The guy is a psychiatrist, and he was a psychiatrist in a prison hospital in London and has written a number of books and articles and writes articles under the pen name of Theodore Dalrymple. I think his name is actually Brown. A very, very keen observation of pathology. He's very good at it. And he's got a couple of quotes that are interesting that sort of go to our problem. Perhaps the greatest of modern epidemics in Western society is that of self-infliction. Never before in history have so many people made themselves so miserable by their actions, opinions, habits, tastes, and proclivities. In all previous ages, circumstances were so difficult and dangerous for most people that no helping hand was needed for misery to triumph. This is the first age in which people can choose the kind of misery they want. Previously, it was the privilege of the rich to do so. Now, go back to my Jeremiah. He's saying, you guys are doing things that don't profit. What Dalrymple is saying is, you guys are making yourselves miserable. Same thing, same concept. There's no difference in concept there. 
goes back to what I said. Monday morning, after all their great victories politically, they're going to be just as mean and angry and upset and unhappy as they were before the decisions. These are not happy people. And what they have done by choosing the set of opinions and the gods they worship, they have, in fact, afflicted themselves. Another quote from Dalrymple. Victims are the heroes of the politically correct. Their victimhood confers unique moral authority upon them ex officio. And since many would like to be a unique moral authority, you shall be like gods. And since many would like to be a unique moral authority, it follows that they would like to be a victim. The fact soon follows the wish, at least in their own estimation. And this, of course, provides much work and justifies much power for the self-proclaimed protectors of the victims. Again, this is logical. There is internal logic to this misery that people are inflicting on themselves and, of course, on each other. Misery loves company. You ever heard that? Nobody is content to be miserable all by himself. You find somebody who's a victim, and he will, A, let you know immediately what he's a victim of, and he will furthermore try and enlist you into his pageant because that gives you moral authority in this society. My child died of peanut allergies. Therefore, we cannot have any peanuts in a school. And I have the moral authority to say that because I'm a victim of peanuts because I lost my kid. And oh, by the way, you can't get peanuts on airlines anymore for that very reason. Because victims have been given a unique moral authority and people have taken those victims and have said, oh, you're a victim. I need to help you. That means you over here can't serve peanuts on your airplane anymore. And I'll enforce it because I am helping this victim. Again, do you see the logic? There's a logic to all this. This is not random. It is not stupid. It's evil, and it's certainly foolish. But there's an internal logic to all of this. Okay, the weapons of the enemy are intimidation and fear. If you oppose us, we're going to shut down your bakery. If you oppose us, we are going to picket your business. If you oppose us, we are going to sue you. Intimidation and fear. Discouragement. Remember I said at the beginning of this, we are sad. And I am sad over what's happened. I am not depressed and I am not discouraged. There's a difference. And what they want to do is they want to convince you that you have no power to resist, and if you do resist, you'll be squashed like a bug, and furthermore, the advance of history is completely against you. You are a throwback to an evil age, and progress is getting rid of your primitive beliefs. It's a lie. But if they repeat it often enough by enough people who sound really authoritative, lots of people will come to believe it. So that's the second weapon is discouragement. Don't be discouraged. I'm not discouraged. The third one is kind of interesting. It's what I'll call theft of attention. And what the world does is it steals your attention. You ever walk through an airport and you've got CNN going on the screens over here? You've got people blathering through the PA system. You can't understand it. It's okay. Not meant to understand it. It's just meant to steal your attention. You've got advertising on every surface, to include nowadays, by the way, the back of the barf bags in the airplanes. 
I don't know what they advertise, but they do. The point is, all of this is designed to steal your attention and keep you focused on the crisis du jour and keep you from focusing on what God would have you focus on. In order to get peace and quiet, you actually have to pay for it. So, for example, if you go into the first-class lounge in an airport, all of a sudden, all of the noise and cacophony goes away. It's quiet. It's peaceful. There are comfortable chairs you can sit in. There's not a television blaring at you from all corners. You have to pay to get away from this. You have to pay to get your attention back. And so what I'm saying, this theft of attention is one of their weapons. It keeps you from focusing on what it is that God wants you to do. Having said all that, the message here is fear not. This is a great time to be alive. Everybody got to be alive sometime. This is our time. And it's not, in fact, the case that God is somehow upset with you and he's put you in this time instead of some pastoral, peaceful time where you can mind your own business. He's got you here for a reason. I'm going to go back to Chesty Puller. Anybody besides Brian know who Chesty Puller was? Chesty Puller was a Marine. I don't know what his rank was during World War II, but during the Korean War, he was a major general and he was commander of the 1st Marine Division. He was at the Choson Reservoir and he got cut off. And in fact, MacArthur believed that the 1st Marine Division had been lost because they were in fact surrounded by 22 CHICOM divisions. Cut off, no support, 22 CHICOM divisions around them. A CHICOM division is 16,500 men. A Marine division is 12,500 men. So he was surrounded 29 to 1. Y'all got the situation. There are a couple of quotes that are attributed to him, and it isn't really clear which is what. The first one I let off with is, we're surrounded. That simplifies our problem. There's one I actually like better that seems to have come from that same engagement. All right, they're on our left. They're on our right. They're in front of us. They're behind us. They can't get away this time. And another one of his quotes, which I love, is, there aren't enough Chinamen in the world to prevent a fully armed Marine regiment from going anywhere it wants. The 1st Marine Division came out of the Choson Reservoir, and in that process, they completely destroyed seven Chinese divisions. That's seven times 16,500 men. The ratio of dead and wounded Marines to dead and wounded Chinese has never been matched. We're surrounded. This simplifies our problem. So as you go out from here, understand that we have always been surrounded. We have always been outnumbered in a sense. And you've got the enemy. You've got people who are just trying to go along and get along and not trying to rock the boat and hoping they won't be noticed. Those are non-combatants. Your job is to find those people and turn them into warriors. Now, the reason Puller is so famous is because most people are not like that. Most people are not like Chesty Puller. That's why those guys make the history books. That's why those guys get their names and get all the ink in the Bible. And in every time and in every circumstance, we have been faced with just exactly this problem. This is now your time to deal with that problem. So you're surrounded. That simplifies your problem. 
It's what we would call in the Army a target-rich environment out there. Please consider becoming a sponsor. You can sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you. Et ta